It's every election ever and beer. It's Matt with Eddie. Eddie, how are you? What's going on, Matt? Good to be here. It's good to be here. Unless you're following Twitter, you probably don't know why Scott is not with us today. But, oh. yeah, it was it was a tragic tale. Sad. Yeah. Scott actually died on the Oregon Trail. I don't know where. Eddie, do you remember where he died on the Oregon Trail? Uh, I don't remember. I think it might have been around Independence Rock. We'll get to it, but I think he died after me, actually. <laughs> it was terrible. It was um, first dysentery, then cholera, then a broken arm, wow. and then he was dead. I don't even know if I looked into how I died. I think I just... I think they finally just said, you're a horrible human being, and you've killed all five people in your party. <laughs> I saw you live-tweeting your Oregon Trail game. <laughs> that was fantastic. Cider Matt. Cider Matt lost all four presidents on, on Mount Rushmore. Uh, very very <laughs> quickly, actually. I think Roosevelt died like as soon as we left the camp. <laughs> oh, that's unrealistic. He would have probably taken over as soon as we left camp and said, get in the back, son. Yeah, if Roosevelt was really in your carriage on the way to Oregon, then one of the options when you cross the river would be have Teddy carry the wagon across. Was Teddy the first like Chuck Norris? Did you see the picture I posted on Twitter of Teddy Roosevelt killing the cougar with his bare hands? I did. Just wait till we get to those episodes. I mean, they're going to be incredible. I know we should do like I, th- I feel like we should do extra T.R. Roosevelt or extra Teddy Roosevelt episodes because there's just so much. We need to build that into some of our bonus material we're going to come out with. We were just talking about having a, some behind the scenes shows, so maybe we can do that with some Teddy Roosevelt stuff. That'd be awesome. What do you want to do about beers? I know what Scott's drinking. So Scott is actually in the Caribbean. He is probably having a fruity drink like I would like to have right now and sitting back in a in a lounge chair. Everybody just had a big sigh of relief. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to make m- way more comfortable jokes this episode. We won't have to cut out the jokes that we make. Yeah, exactly. My editing job will be much, much easier. Um, I'm going to get into what I'm drinking first because you're going to have to help me out on some of it. So I'm drinking a beer actually by Yazoo Brewing. Have you heard of them in Nashville? I have not. It's a local brewer in Nashville. It's it's really good beer. And actually, this beer is pretty damn good. It's called Dos Peros. And about it is, it says, many Mexican beer styles today are descendants of an old Austrian style when Austria ruled Mexico in the late 19th century. Our Dos Peros is made with Munich, English, and chocolate malts, flaked maize. It's a good beer, man. Ah, the Jefferson beer that I made was made with flaked maize. Yeah, it tastes. It, it actually does remind me a little bit of Blood of Tyrants, though nothing can compete with that, clearly. Okay, I have, you remember when I made the Harris Porter? I do remember. Yes, well, I made another batch, only this time I added coconut. So it's a little Founding Fathers, it's a little now, it's Harris Coconut Porter. It's a little Caribbean, in honor of Scott. That's right, yeah, that's exactly yeah. why I did it. A little coconut in the in the uh, beer. Now, didn't you get some flack for this on, on Twitter from one of our followers, too? Yeah, I ran a poll, and I said, should I add coffee to the Harris Porter, or should I add coconut? And everybody said that I should add coffee. So, And uh, Hippity Doodah, who is one of our followers, yeah, uh, he's a big brewer. Uh, he definitely gave me flack over the coconut. But my friend that I have beer with, I've talked about him on the show before, that I have beer with every week. Yeah. He said coconut, he had actually had the Harris Porter. 
and he said that coconut would would dull the bitterness of the porter and so tried this out and it's pretty good and and in typical eddie fashion you went completely opposite of popular opinion in the poll that's right there you go sounds sounds exactly <laughs> like what i would expect the polls were wrong man the yeah, polls exactly. were wrong we all know from experience that polls can be wrong right <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to learn today about the election of 1848 i think well, let's talk about why we were playing Oregon Trail. Oh, sure. One of the very first screens when you start playing the game says, it's 1848. I didn't remember that. So why is it 1848 in the game? The answer is because the British and the Americans both had a joint settlement deal over the Oregon Territory, which is not just the state of Oregon. It's like the entire Northwest. So they had a joint deal where they both, like, basically that Northwest Territory belonged to both America and Great Britain at the time. But that deal was set to expire in 1846. Okay. And as we know from the 1844 episode, the main driver behind Polk's presidency is the idea of manifest destiny. If this were a class, I would I would tell the class to write down the words manifest destiny. I'm writing those down right now. Right? The idea of manifest destiny is that we are destined to be from the East Coast to the West Coast. Everything the, between the oceans we're supposed to, to own. Exactly. Across the continent, that's supposed to eventually be America. That's all our manifest destiny. And so we tried to reach a deal with Great Britain to split the Oregon Territory along the 49th parallel. Are you going to tell me what the 49th parallel is? Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's actually the border between modern-day Washington state and British Columbia in Canada. So pretty much our border today. Yes, exactly. It's yep. our border today. But they did not agree to that. So there was this big war fervor. People wanted to take the whole thing. And that was where we got the famous chant, 54, 40, or fight. And those are uh, degrees? Is that what yeah, those are degrees. Have you ever heard that before, 54, yeah, 40, or fight? Yeah, I heard it from you last week. <laughs> it's a relatively famous thing. Most people think that it's a... Um, it's Polk's campaign slogan from 1844, but this actually doesn't start until a couple of years later. So that is erroneous information. Lots of that out there. All right, so 5440 or fight becomes this popular chant, and it, it's pretty scary for the British. They don't want any part of fighting for the Northwest Territory. They don't want to throw away their economic relationship with the United States. So without any sort of fighting happening, we end up making a deal with them that drew the boundary at the 49th parallel. And the part we got is modern-day Oregon and Washington. The part they got is no longer British. It's actually uh, the province British Columbia in Canada. If we actually had fought with the British over this and won the Oregon Territory— 
or if we had worked out a deal where we actually got the border up to 5440 yeah then today Alaska would be part of the continental United States oh yeah because we would have all the land in between yeah because it goes right up to the southern border of Alaska that's where 5440 is yeah so that's weird to think about it is uh the other thing that Polk did was he wanted to purchase California and, you know, that Southwest Territory from Mexico. And we already had Texas in the Union at that point, right? Yes. Tyler got that, got the ball rolling on that, and right. Texas came into the Union. That was when Polk was president-elect. It would, it didn't come in as a territory because it was so organized already. I got you. Because it was its own independent republic. So it just went straight to statehood. So it looked pretty much like it does now. So if I'm looking at a map, there's a difference between the Northwest Territory, which is obviously Oregon, Washington, and kind of anything in between to what we sort of know as the Midwest today. And then the other stuff you're talking about that Polk tried to purchase would be the southern part of the West Coast, which would be California, Nevada, places like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's all that area. Belongs to Mexico at the time. Polk tries to buy it. They don't want to sell it. So we end up in a war with Mexico. A war of extremely dubious origin. Explain. It's one of the less famous wars in American history. How long I, I is it? How long is it, by the way? War with Mexico? Yeah. It's just a couple years long. Gotcha. It's most of Polk's presidency is the War of Mexico, and then by the time Polk is gone, the war is over. Are you going to get to this? You might, but is there any part of Polk that wants to sort of renege on his promise not to run for more than one term? You know, as far as I know, there is no part of Polk that wants to do it. Polk is a workhorse president. Yeah. He never stops. He just works himself to death. I think he was ready to give it up. Yeah. He was not pleased to give it up to who he gave it up to, but... Foreshadowing. Yeah, he didn't want to do another four years, and he couldn't have anyway, even if he had wanted to, because Polk died not very long after his presidency. Okay. And I believe he was in his 50s. Fairly young, maybe not for the time, but still. No, I mean, even for the time, if you think about... You know, being upper class back then, yeah, it yeah. was it was pretty early. He probably his presidency was almost certainly a factor in the shortness of his life. Yeah, you got to think the presidency still aged people then, like it does now. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. The only one that really, I mean, I think I've seen stories on this too. I mean, Trump's the only one that really doesn't look like he's getting older. I think stress like has no effect on him. It's not only that he's not negatively affected by it. I think he's actually positive. I think <laughs> yeah. he loves it. I think he's yeah. positively affected by it. I think it's rare that we've had a CEO type in the presidency. You would know better than me, but just someone that's that's in business and used to running business at the highest level that just comes in and, and does politics. Politics is kind of a different breed usually, especially people that make it to president. They've spent a lot of their life being politicians, and he's just not that guy. There's just nobody else comparable. Maybe Herbert Hoover. Yeah, I, I love I love that we're going to get into all this stuff because I think we're going to see how different this past election sort of was. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it it really was different, but 
also in many ways the same, yeah, yeah. more so than people think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we end up in this war with Mexico, and we end up going to war with them because they fire on uh, American troops. But the question becomes, did they fire on American troops in American territory, as Polk says, or did they fire on American troops in Mexican territory, which would make it less, um, you know, it makes the war less legitimate if we were the aggressors and they fired at us and that started the war. Correct. So Lincoln famously, Abraham Lincoln, who's a Whig in Congress at the time, he stands up in Congress and he holds up a map and he says, Mr. President, point to the spot on this map where the war started. Lincoln's very much against the Mexican-American War and Polk and the Democrats. Yeah. But anyway, we end up in the war. We fight Mexico for a couple years. Zachary Taylor emerges as the hero of the war. And before the war is even over, people are saying, oh, he should run for president. He should be the president. So what was his role in the war? Okay, I'm going to say that I have not fact-checked this, but yep. just I'm pretty sure he started out as a colonel and ended the war as a general. I think that's probably right from from what I'm seeing on the the esteemed Wikipedia source. Boom, nailed it. Yep, you got it. Taylor, like William Henry Harrison, Taylor is going to be president of the United States for a very short time. Okay, so you have Zachary Taylor emerging as this war hero. People is like, oh, he should run for president. They don't know what party he is in. They have no idea what his beliefs are on any of the issues. Yeah. It's going to be the William Henry Harrison thing all over again. Uh, it's going to be a thing about this guy is the war hero. This guy has the personality. And they build up the personality and they build up the heroism. Yeah. And where you stand on issues becomes totally secondary. So let me ask you this question. It, people like that that sort of rise up in popular culture or, you know, they're sort of war heroes or, or what have you. And, the, and they don't wear their politics on their sleeve. Do you have multiple parties coming after this person trying to sort of turn them their way to make them them their candidate? Or was it just the Whig party going after him because they figured out he was a Whig at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody uh, wants that person in their tent when you find out. In fact, uh, that's not just like an 1800s thing. When, when Dwight Eisenhower is done being commander of the allied forces yeah and he comes back the democrats and republicans both go after dwight eisenhower to run for president as their as their guy you know as their yeah. candidate and they don't even know what party he is or what he believes and they don't care because he's dwight eisenhower yeah i kind of feel like the most most present example of what we've had is you and i kind of grew up in the in the colin powell era and I feel like both parties sort of went after him, even though he came out and was a Republican. He was moderate enough where the Democrats sort of looked at him as maybe somebody to even run on the ticket of a Democratic nominee as a, a split ticket party or something like that. 
That happens a lot with military types. People want them because of their leadership and because yeah. the whole country has been behind them. And and you almost don't care what they believe because you're like, that person is a leader. They just won a war for the United States. What could be bad about them? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's like the best endorsement you could have gotten back then, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so that's what happens with Zachary Taylor. Uh, he gets up. He ends up getting nominated by the Whigs. So they have their convention. They nominate Zachary Taylor to be their presidential candidate. Wait so, a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was Henry Clay not available? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where was he at? <laughs> Henry Henry Clay H C yeah. old H C running for president again. over and over again. Yeah. It reminds you of another H C. It does. <laughs> so uh they nominate him and they send him a letter to let him know that he's been nominated. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Wouldn't you wouldn't you love to get one of those letters? Like you, you know, your wife's checking the mail and you're just sitting here and uh she's like, honey. Looks like you've been nominated for president. My first thought would be, oh, that must have been for my dad. Exactly. <laughs> Does yeah. it say junior on it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you've been nominated for president, Eddie. Yeah. President exactly. of what? Of, uh, of the bowling league? Yeah, that's what I was going to guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get to pick the next shoe color that they, that they buy. Yeah. So, he's, so he's, not, he's not actively trying to get this nomination. No, not at all. In fact... You know, you said, wouldn't you love to get a letter like that? Well, I'm sure Zachary Taylor would have enjoyed getting a letter like that, but he didn't. Oh, really? Because back then, what happened was you sent mail to somebody, and then they paid the postage to get the mail. Wow. Yeah, so you didn't, like, you know, put a stamp on it and send it out. You send it out, and then the person could pay to have their mail or not. Then they hold the mail yeah. until you have the money to, to receive your mail. That's right. And Zachary Taylor wasn't paying for any of his mail because he was getting too many letters from people, you know, admirers who are all excited about, you know, the campaign and the war and everybody's in a patriotic fervor about it. Yeah. Write letters to General Taylor. Yeah. So he's not even getting his mail. He doesn't even know he's the nominee for weeks. So my question that, that I'm thinking of as this goes by as the prankster is how many times would I get you to pay for opening a letter with just my middle finger in it before you finally stop <laughs> paying to receive your mail? <laughs> One time. There you go. You, you, One time. Fool me, fool me once. <laughs> That's right. It's like George W. Bush said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't you get can't fooled get again. fooled twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites of all time. Can't get Maybe you again. can put it in. Maybe you can put it in oh, and I'll let everyone out a way, enjoy it. I'll figure out a way to do that. <laughs> There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. <laughs> All right, so by the end of Polk's presidency, America stretches from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. That means Polk's name and Polk's one term 
is on one third of the entire continental United States today. And once Oregon becomes an American territory, the land grants and settlement opportunities begin. And so what do you do? You hop in your wagon at Independence, Missouri. You buy supplies and you go to Oregon. If you're smart, you go to Oregon. (laughs) If If you're not smart, you pretty much die somewhere along the way yes (laughs) (laughs) i made it to oregon when i played but i actually stopped and rested when people were sick what i had to get there before the show started so i was going as fast (laughs) as i could well you don't have to really wait days you just hit the four and then it's it it just calculates the days don't make me look worse eddie (laughs) actually i lost all of my food trying to float across the first river is the problem (laughs) (laughs) Always take the ferry, dude. Always. The floating did not work. All right. So I told you once before that I love Martin Van Buren. I've heard that once or twice. But you probably may not know yet why I love him so much. And the answer starts with the election of 1848. Wait a minute. It starts there? Yeah. Okay. Um, Van Buren, once again... Ends up running for president in this election. How old is this dude by now? I actually don't know the answer to that. He started out young, so he's probably maybe 60 by now. Yeah, I got you. In order to understand why I love Martin Van Buren, you have to understand three things. Okay. Okay, number one is all of his life, he believed that you join a party and then you get behind whatever the party decides. All of his life, he believed that you toe the party line, even if you disagree. Even after Van Buren got burned at the 1844 convention, he worked really hard to get Polk elected in New York. Yeah. Uh, in the general election. Because he he got the most votes the first time in 1844, but he didn't have enough votes. Right. He didn't have two-thirds, which is what the convention required back then yep so he he jumped behind polk even at the convention and then worked to get him elected yes in fact van buren's support is the number one reason that polk ended up carrying the state of new york which was decisive in that election yeah we talked about how tight it was pennsylvania and new york really turned that whole election it was much closer than even the electoral college absolutely yeah martin van buren you could strongly argue is the reason that Polk got elected president. If Van Buren, who is a powerful figure in New York, if he had decided, you know what, I'm going to take Polk down, like, you know, out of anger. Once Polk got into office, uh, he went back and forth with Van Buren. He sent him letters. Thank you. I want to put somebody from New York on my cabinet. So, you know, as a reward for what you've done, I want to put one of your people here. But it ends up not working out. Uh, There's no cabinet position given to any of Martin Van Buren's guys. And uh, there's no taking any of Martin Van Buren's counsel from there on out. Martin Van Buren, always the party line guy. That's what he believes. Gotcha. The second thing you have to understand is that the issue of slavery is going to realign everything in American politics. It's it's percolating right now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's going to start right now. The reason it hasn't done that yet is because there were slave states and there were free states. 
And that was generally an accepted thing. They were now, already preset. Yeah, they were preset slave state, non-slave state. Right, exactly. Now you're starting to compete for when you when a territory becomes a state, you have both of these opposing forces hitting hitting that state, that territory to say what they're going to become. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it happened after we bought Louisiana, the Louisiana Territory from France, sort of the same thing happened when Monroe was president. Yeah. Right? Uh, people didn't want Missouri coming in as a slave state. When states were starting to be formed out of that Louisiana Territory. Right. And the North did not want slavery spreading. But they came up with the Missouri Compromise, right. which admitted Missouri as a slave state and Maine as a free state, and then it banned slavery in the rest of the Louisiana Territory above the 3630 parallel. And then that sort of settled that, and the slavery thing wasn't a big issue again. Until a little bit later. Until now, because now we bring in all these new territories, and... Uh, the North is more against slavery than they even were before, and the South is more entrenched in it than ever, and they're watching it start to disappear in Europe, and they're getting very nervous because that's what they built their economy on. They have a lazy economy, and instead of having the kind of free markets that they have in the North where, oh, this agrarian thing isn't working out, uh, so we have to industrialize things. We have to innovate. We have to change things. In order, They don't do that in the South. In the South, they have slavery, and that allows them to have a super lazy economy. Well, it sounds like everything has always been slower in the South. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way that it's been pretty much from day one. Yep. All right. So, so now, like you said, we have all these... Uh, new territories that Polk just won, and some people want them to be able to have slavery. Others do not want them to be able to have slavery. All right, so that's the second thing you have to understand is the rise of the slavery issue now. And yeah. it's going to keep being the most important issue from here until the Civil War. Which is not not really that far down the road as we're moving along. You know, it's very clear that it's starting to pick up and head that way. Yes. 12 years from where we are right now is going to be the Civil War, which means we're, let's see, we got 1852, 1856, and then we're there. And think about it. I mean, if you listen to all of our podcasts, it started to pick up back from the nullification, and it's heading that way now. Yeah, that's right. The yeah. nullification is a precursor to the Civil War, the idea that in the South they believe, like a lot of people in the South believe, and specifically South Carolina, that you can nullify acts of the federal government, that states are superior to the federal government in federalism, Yeah, which is the opposite of the supremacy clause in the Constitution and— it is the opposite of what Chief Justice Marshall and the Supreme Court rule in the case McCulloch versus Maryland. Right. All right, so here's the third thing you have to understand in order to understand why I love Van Buren. Van Buren, his life's work so far up to this point 
He spent his life building the Democratic Party, which at the time is the greatest political machine in the history of the United States. And it was all built by by uh, Martin Van Buren. Yeah. And he, for all intents and purposes, is the creator of the Democratic Party that exists still to this day. Now, everything is going to change for him. The Democratic Party breaks into two factions. Uh-oh. It's not unlike today where you yeah. have the Democratic Party and you have uh, maybe a Bernie Sanders Democrat far, far on the left. Yeah. And then you have, you know, a Joe Biden, you know, supposedly moderate Democrat on the right of the party. Yeah. We have the progressives today saying anywhere else in the world, this would be two separate parties. Yes. Yeah. I, which is true. Yeah. But we have a two-party system. Our Congress is built for a two-party system. So the Democratic Party breaks into these two factions. They're called the Hunkers and the Barn Burners. Oh. And the Barn Burners get that name because they would, they would burn down the barn to kill the rats. I got you. So they're like the Antifa, basically. Well, I mean, that's how the other side views them. The Barn Burners... They're not really that. The barn burners are really the anti-slavery okay. Democrats. Gotcha. And uh, the hunkers are the ones that hunker for office. Or as um, as Abraham Lincoln famously called it in one of my favorite historical quotes of all time, the voracious desire for office. Beyond anything else. That's all they care about. Yeah. But, of course, their names each come – from the other side, so they're both epithets. Uh, but what it really, the hunkers are the pro-slavery Democrat, well, it, not pro-slavery necessarily, but pro-popular sovereignty, which is the idea that the new territory should decide for themselves whether or not they want to have slavery. The old states' rights argument. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Popular sovereignty. So popular sovereignty is the hunkers and anti-slavery or at least anti-expansion of slavery is the barn burners. All right. At their convention, the hunkers are at the Democratic convention. The hunkers nominate Lewis Cass to be their candidate. Okay. And uh, Martin Van Buren and the barn burners end up storming out of the convention they walk does lewis have enough votes at that point or does he not have enough votes until they walk out uh he has enough votes he has enough votes okay uh so they storm out they're angry about it and martin van buren he does exactly what he did when he got upset with the Democratic Republicans. You remember so many years ago yeah. when he had the falling out with the Democratic Republicans and he created a new party, the Democrats. Right. Now he has a major falling out with the Democrats. He creates his own party, the Free Soil Party. Okay, I'm going to need some clarification from you, and you, you may be planning to address this, but what you're saying now about Martin Van Buren and also what you're saying about what happened when he – broke away from the Democratic Republicans is contrary to your number one reason for loving him, 
which is party loyalty. So clearly there's some line that Martin Van Buren can draw and say, this is where I'm not going to be loyal to the party. That's right. It ends at the issue of slavery. So that's really been his issue. Yes. that I mean, it becomes – Yeah. It becomes his issue, and and the party can't stay together anymore because these parties, as they exist today, the Whigs and the Democrats, were not built around the issue of slavery, and it's about to become the only issue that matters for the next decade. So like anything else in life and history, when when these parties first started, this wasn't even an issue on the radar. And suddenly it becomes the issue on the radar, and people who were in a party and had similar thoughts on other issues have different thoughts on this issue, so they start to split apart. That's right, and yeah. um, slavery, as you know, is generally a sectional issue. Yeah, yeah. So the South always is the pro-slavery, and the North is always, you know, the anti-slavery. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, in sort of general terms. So what have these parties spent their entire existence doing is trying to appeal to Northerners and Southerners. Yeah. So the both parties are built to uh, appeal to the North and the South. And that creates this giant fault line in both parties. And a yeah. lot of the Whigs end up joining the Free Soil Party, who nominates... Martin Van Buren, this is actually, this is fantastic. I love this right here. Awesome. Anybody who's been listening to the show all along is really going to appreciate this. They nominate Martin Van Buren for president, and they nominate Charles Adams for vice president. Okay. Charles Francis Adams is the son of John Quincy Adams who, after he was president, spent the rest of his life fighting against slavery as a house rep from Massachusetts. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and you remember, too, the bad blood between Van Buren and Adams if you go back to the corrupt bargain in 1824. Yeah, it's amazing. They were they, they were on separate sides then. Yeah. Yep. And now 24 years later, John Quincy is dead. And Van Buren and Charles Adams are on the free soil ticket together. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and John Quincy actually dies this year, I believe, 1848. Um, he uh, has a stroke when he's making a speech or while he's debating something in Congress. And they take him to the Speaker's office, and he dies there. And he, he spent the latter part of his career, you already talked about that, being one of the loudest proponents for the abolitionists. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So he's awesome. If you remember, John Quincy Adams is my favorite guy who has been president as a guy. Not your favorite president, your favorite person that has been president. That's right. And yeah. Martin Van Buren is the most underrated president. Yep, yeah, I've got both of those down at this point. Okay, and <laughs> soon we will get to um, Abraham Lincoln, who is not actually my favorite president, but is the best president. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to have to write all this down at some point, I think. But <laughs> I, I got my categories for okay. sure. Yeah, just just keep reminding me. All right, so Charles Francis Adams 
and Van Buren are on the free soil ticket together. And so uh, when the general election gets underway, uh, everybody votes on the same day for the first time ever in American history. Election day. Yes, this is the very first time that everybody uh, does that on the same day. Generally, it's been like, you know, over the course of a month, people vote. Yeah. And now it all happens on the same day. This is also the first election ever where the parties have national committees. By the way, Texas gets to vote in this election. So we're moving west. Pretty soon, we'll be voting all the way to California. Yeah, not many votes for Texas this time around, but they do get to vote. Right, not like today where they have, you know, like 38 or something like that, 36 or 38. Looks like they have about four, yeah. Yep, four electoral votes back then. So Zachary Taylor, without anybody knowing his politics, without – Anybody knowing anything except that he's a war hero uh, ends up getting 163 electoral votes. Uh, Lewis Cass only gets 127. And the Whigs win for the second time. And Zachary Taylor becomes the third Whig president. But one of the major reasons that Zachary Taylor wins this election is because Martin Van Buren siphoned off so many Democratic votes with his free soil party. Yeah, it looks like we almost had a president, Lewis, Ca- Lewis Cass, had Martin Van Buren not split away because it's, it's a really tight election from the popular vote standpoint, at least. Yeah. And, I mean, Lewis, Lewis Cass won a lot of states, too. Yeah, and Van Buren... He didn't win any states, but he did get over 10% of the popular vote. Yeah, which is that's that's a lot for a third party candidate. Yeah, it's a, it's a ton and it's especially a lot if you consider the fact that those are mostly probably northern democrats. Yeah. And then you look at the map and you see uh Zachary Taylor winning Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland. Yeah, yeah. It's not the best third-party showing of all time, but it is a very good one. Uh, it it shows Lewis Cass and the Hunkers that they probably can't do it without the barn burners. So you got to get them back in the party. Yeah, and Martin Van Buren did uh, burn down the barn in this one to kill the rats. I got you, yeah. He he basically got Zachary Taylor elected. Yes, and this free soil party is going to lead to, along with other coalitions, it is going to lead to a new party in 1856. Wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the republican party which is weird because i'm I'm guaranteeing i'm or i'm guessing at least that you have lots of wigs that move over to that party too yeah the most people will tell you that the wig party is the forerunner of the republican party that's true to some degree 
but it's not a hundred percent true. The Free Soil uh, Party is a major component of this because the parties realign over the issue of slavery, and this is the first realignment that happens over slavery. So you could make just as much of an argument that the Free Soilers are the forerunner to the Republican Party. Completely hot take, but I'm guessing that there was some a splintering of the Whig Party as well because they just didn't undergo that splintering in 1848. There had to be some folks, albeit maybe limited folks in the Whig Party, that were still not pro-slavery but not necessarily anti-slavery. And yeah, a lot of Whigs, a lot of Whigs joined the Free Soilers. In fact, I believe I don't know this for sure, but I believe that Charles Francis Adams was a Whig. Yeah. And he ended up being the vice presidential candidate on that ticket. So in my opinion, the Free Soil Party is the beginning of the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. Not the Whig Party, because the Whig Party was built for something else. The Free Soil Party was built to be anti-slavery, and that is what is going to wind up being the Republican Party. So in my opinion— Martin Van Buren created both of the modern political parties. Which is the third reason you love him so much. It is It is really the reason that I love <laughs> him so much, yes. I mean, how amazing is that? It is. To think that that all of our American politics today were created by Martin Van Buren. The father of both parties. <laughs> a, a guy that nobody even talks about. He's like... You know, just one of the lesser-known guys who was president. Most people can't tell you anything about him. I'll tell you, everybody just knows him because of his funny name, really. First president born in the United States. Speaking of that, we have another guy with a funny name coming up soon. Um, maybe the most funny presidential name ever. Happened to be Zachary Taylor's vice presidential nominee. Millard Fillmore. Yeah. Or Mallard Fillmore, I think, as it's called in the comic strip. In the in the what? There's a Mallard Fillmore in a comic strip, I believe. You have to look that up, Eddie. From yeah, Millard Fillmore is going to become president pretty soon because uh, Zachary Taylor he eats some uh, cherries and drinks some iced milk, gets a stomach bacteria, oh, wow. dies. Every Whig who was ever elected president died in office. Wow. And Willard Fillmore, Mill, Willard, Willard Fillmore, <laughs> Millard, Mallard, Mallard Fillmore, Millard, Millard Wellmore. Oh, me no function beer well without. Wellard Fillmore. <laughs> when you... Have you ever seen the movie um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where no. Steve, Steve Martin's trying to remember the name? <laughs> no, but but this oh, is, man, this is awesome. It's hilarious. <laughs> So Millard Fillmore uh, will be the fourth and final Whig president. He's not going to be like Zachary Taylor. He is going to be the first of three disastrous presidents that set us on the path to civil war. Three in a row, really horrible presidents. That is correct. Starting with Mallard. And the third one, Buchanan, who was... 
almost the Democratic candidate in this election, Buchanan is, here's another category from me, Buchanan is the worst president ever. The worst president in history, James Buchanan. When people say that Donald Trump is the worst president ever, I can't but laugh because I know about James Buchanan. (laughs) And I always presume that if they knew about James Buchanan, they would not say that Donald Trump was the worst president ever. Not even close. That's what I got. That's a good show, man. Yeah, it was great. It's like we didn't even miss Scott. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, I know. I did. I, I, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I uh, I finished my beer. Actually, I finished my beer really quickly into the show. Shout out to Yazoo Brewing. That was a that was an incredible beer, and I'm sure you enjoyed yours. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Looking forward to next time, the election of 1852. And Scott will be back. Scott will be back. Listen, if you don't follow us, follow us on Twitter. We're at Election and Beer. Follow us on Facebook, where we're almost never at, but still you could go see us there election and beer download this podcast listen to it tell your friends about it we enjoy it we think you will enjoy it as well we'll see you next time 